0: Todd, I'd like to welcome you and everyone else back to the Bill Bennett Show. I feel welcomed. I hope everyone else does as well. I am Bill Bennett. This is the podcast that translates Trump, but you know, he's not a guy who really needs translation. He's pretty plain. <laughs> right. <laughs> Putting it mildly. Take an honest look at the current administration. We look at the existential threats to America. And just to tip our hand, I don't regard Donald Trump as an existential threat. Did you see the former head of psychiatry at Duke University? Did you see what he said? No. Fill me in on this. It was on CNN. This is the chairman of the psychiatry department at Duke. Mm -hmm. Reputable university? Yes. He said, I think Trump is a danger greater than Hitler, Mao, and Stalin. Wow. Yeah. Wow. little... CNN didn't call him on it either. Oh, okay. Well, very interesting. Thank you, Professor. Oh,
1: right. Nice. They took it as fact.
0: Good grief. I mean, this is nuts. Joining me today is a guy who's not nuts, Conrad Black, author and non-affiliated member of the House of Lords. We've never asked him what that means. Exactly,
1: right. Maybe we should. We, I or should act, act like we? No, know. I think we should act like we know.
0: Okay. Maybe a listener will tell us. Right. Well, you know we have a smart listener. Oh, Bill and Clug. We should just pretend as if we, yeah. We'll talk about President Trump's ability to continue to move ahead despite constant attacks. Of course, uh, Lord Black is a biographer of uh, Donald Trump. Then Vin Weber, old friend of mine, former partner of mine in Empower America, partners with Vin and Jack Kemp and Gene Kirkpatrick. He's a former congressman from Minnesota. He'll join the show. He's one of the smartest people I've ever met in politics. We'll get his read. Claude, uh, coming up are two great interviews. We've done them already, folks. And I really, they're about politics, both of them. Right. Fair uh, dose of international politics. Australia, Great Britain, Canada, mm-hmm. uh, courtesy of Vin Weber, and then, of course, our friend um, Conrad Black. Right. and we also figured out what unaffiliated non-affiliated means <laughs> right if you, you're gonna have to listen to the interview though. yeah it was there yeah. but there
1: are still more questions
0: but ways well, yeah for us here in the colonies <laughs> there are always questions we don't right. we just don't get it they don't get us we yeah. don't get them and that's know. fine that's fine but uh, heavy on the politics so I want to talk about something else I want to talk about suing big Pharma uh case out of Oklahoma and then mm-hmm. there's other cases and there'll be a zillion more coming um suing the big pharma companies this was johnson and johnson uh judge uh, talked uh gave, gave, awarded like 570 million dollars um to the plaintiffs ruling against johnson and johnson uh, blaming them for the opioid crisis public opinion is strongly with this kind of decision mm-hmm. these big pharma companies push their pills push their medicine a lot of people took them some people became addicted But I want to say something in mitigation. I'm not saying they're not responsible at all. I need to know some more facts. But I know some of the things that are being claimed are just not true. Uh, Let's go to the end of the line. First of all, I still believe in something called personal responsibility. Okay. And let's just start at the end of the argument. If you can sue big pharma for pushing um, medicines, which when some people overuse, they die or get sick or get addicted. Why can't you sue every distiller in the country, every maker of liquor, beer? Mm. the The scale of the problem is much larger. Plus, quite apart from death, what alcohol does to families, domestic abuse, fights, traffic accidents. Uh, well, we say because it's not their fault if people drink too much. Well, is it uh, Johnson Johnson's fault if people misuse the opioids? Let me give you a few facts, Claude. Uh, ruling against Johnson Johnson and awarding five hundred thirty or seventy million. Judge Balkman claimed the current stage of the opioid crisis still primarily involves prescription opioids like Vicodin, OxyContin. It's just not true. It is just not true that the current stage of the opioid crisis, where we're talking right here today in America, Claude, um, is still primarily prescription opioids. It just isn't true. According to records collected by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, pain pills were involved in 30% of opioid-related deaths in 2017. 30%. That's that primarily. Second, most of these cases also involved other drugs. People who die from oh, using Vicodin OxyContin almost always are you taking them in combination with something else. Normally, they're taking them in connection with what we call benzodiazidines, okay. Xanax, uh, Valium. Okay. Third, most of the people who die from use of these drugs sold by the pharmaceutical companies, steal them. They're not patients mm-hmm. who are overusing them. They're people taking them out of the medicine cabinet or selling them in the street. The term of art here is diversion. It's mostly people, not who pe- not, not who it's prescribed for, but other people. And third or fourth, most of the deaths relating to opioids are now coming from, I know this already inserted before, but you got to keep saying it, heroin and fentanyl or fentanyl analog. That's where our problem is today. Mm-hmm. If it might have started with um, some of this, it's not what it is today, but I don't even think anything could started. Listen to these statistics. In 2015, according to the National Survey on Drug Abuse, about 2% of Americans, 2%, who took prescription drugs, uh, including uh, non-medical users, qualified for a diagnosis of opioid use disorder, and that's broader than addiction, 2%. Wow. By the way, in comparison to my first point, about 9% of past-year drinkers have an alcohol use disorder. Mm -hmm. Almost 10% of people who drink have an alcohol problem. Of the people who use these painkillers that are prescribed, about 2% have a problem. Um, A 2018 analysis of medical records found evidence of opioid misuse in 1% of patients who took pain pills after surgery. 1%. While studies find that misuse is more common among chronic pain patients... A 2016 New England Journal of Medicine article concluded that rates of carefully diagnosed addiction averaged less than 8%. This study, which was co-authored by Nora Volko, and I know Nora, she's used to teach at Harvard, maybe still does, director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse, noted that addiction occurs in only a small percentage of persons who are exposed to opioids. Yet, the judge deemed such statements by Johnson & Johnson false, misleading, and deceptive. There are about 25 million Americans um, who are suffering from se- serious to severe pain. You probably know some of mm-hmm. have relatives and in, in many ways, these painkillers are miracle drugs. A lot of people will kill themselves if they don't have them. Uh, I went through this, I had cancer surgery and I got off them pretty quick, but for a week I needed them and I, I didn't, I didn't want to be on them at all. My doctor said, just start with them. You can dump them, but start with them Yeah, because the pain was severe. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I had what's called a Whipple, which is five-hour surgery that basically open you up. They mm-hmm. just open you up and take out stuff, mm-hmm. bad stuff. Leave the good stuff, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> and no no medical instruments either. Right. Um, and pain is a serious problem. What can be said about their culpability? That they were pushing their product? Sure. Companies make products and they push them. Mm-hmm. Did they have warning labels? Yeah, they have warning labels. Is there any personal responsibility here? Sure. The government was involved and approved these drugs. FDA, Food and Drug Administration, the DEA, the guys I used to work with in those drugs, are drug enforcement. So I'm not saying they're scot-free. They're out there pushing, and maybe they should. the warning should have been in bright red letters. Mm-hmm. And you know. And what about the doctors? I mean, nobody gets their pills from Johnson & Johnson directly. Right. Doctors uh, may be over-prescribed. Well, maybe we'll now see a slew of lawsuits against the doctors anyway that that's my case I just and i don't know how you keep if this thing goes and you get a hundred more lawsuits. How do you keep people from suing anybody when anybody misuses the product mm-hmm. and and kid dies, whether it 's alcohol or cars or or fried chicken right big debate now between
1: oh Popeye's and <laughs> And Chick-fil-A with the crazy chicken sandwich thing going on, yeah.
0: It's very interesting. Lines outside the store. I'm, I'm going right. to have to resolve this one. <laughs> you and I may need to. We can never get inside of a Popeye's chicken again. <laughs> it's just a piece of chicken in a roll, isn't it? I
1: don't Popeye's have been selling chicken ever since I've been born. And now I mean, all of a sudden there's a chicken sandwich that they make that's so good that people <laughs>
0: Claude, how easy it is for us to get to off, get off of yeah, serious No, you're right, no, you're right. right. We're talking about serious things. Here. Uh, anyway, there are disputes and there are disputes. But I mean, you know, but fried food, you know, right? All I kind ate, of health issues. Can that come eat a Popeyes, way. you know, ate six nine, ate twenty times a week. Mm-hmm. Died. Well, don't eat that much fried food. You kill yourself, right? Sugar, huh? Mm-hmm. Sugar. So, what would you say to it? Well, I'm I, I wonder
1: if some of the outrage has to do with how much money a lot of the big pharmaceutical corporations make, and then you look at some of the causes. Um, as far as addiction and, and death in people's lives. And maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's part of just this public outcry. When I went to, I went to Utah about a month ago, and all of it down the highway, you see um, billboards about opioid addiction and getting help and, and things like that. Um, and I didn't know that opioid addiction was a big deal in
0: Utah. It's maybe everywhere. it is. Maybe it's, it's you know, everywhere.
1: And, um, and so uh, – It's everywhere,
0: but it's worse in West Virginia. Right. Ohio, New Hampshire, D.C., yeah, and I feel like maybe right now.
1: there's this public momentum to, for the need to have to do something, even if, for right now, big money lawsuits against big pharmaceutical
0: companies seem to be the answer. They're a big, fat, easy target. Exactly, exactly. You know about the guy who loses his wallet in the Bronx?
1: No, no.
0: And he's down at Times Square in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. This guy said, what are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my wallet. Did you lose it here? Nope, lost it in the Bronx. What are you looking here for? Light's better. what i'm saying is there are levels of complexity here Mm -hmm. and responsibility that are that are multi-layered and the numbers i knew most of these numbers more or less what i didn't know was the diversion that people who get hooked on these prescription medicines and die from them for the most part are people who weren't prescribed to them wow yeah that i didn't know either. they took them Mm -hmm. or stole them or found them or bought them on the street and um that's a real, that's a real problem. Anyway, this debate is going to go on, but I understand how much money these companies make, and there's been a lot of publicity about some companies that gouge. Mm-hmm. And there's an effort by the Trump administration to get prescription drug prices down. And yes, these companies make a ton of money. I would also say they need a ton of money to do their research, not just to reward their execs, but mm-hmm. this is why we lead the world in medical research. Uh, m- my very best friend is a is a head or second in command of a medical research company working on white blood cells, cancer, ecology, Mm -hmm. all sorts of things. And it's hugely expensive. Yeah. So, you know, they got to be given some room. But I want to come back to this thing about if you use the drug the way it's supposed to, you know, you don't die from it. Right. And if doctors exercise more care. I I just think this is the lawsuit craziness. Mm Mm-hmm. One other thing I'd say, just the shading of another point, saying, well, this is great going after them just like they went after big tobacco. Tobacco was not invented as a product to solve anybody's personal serious problem. Right. These things were invented to get people out of pain. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, if you've never been in serious pain, you don't understand. On the it's like. yeah. It's dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. People, certain kind of pain can't function. Mm-hmm. Tobacco was not invented for that. It was invented for fun, right, you know, right, and enjoyment, entertainment, delectation. So I rest my case. I mean, I, I should say here, because the world in which we live, what I said on TV, I do not work for pharma. I don't right. pay. Right. I'm not mm-hmm. on the payroll. I've never gotten a check. I may have given a speech for a pharmacological company 20 years ago but um you know I'm, I'm not on the take okay that's my view anyway love your opinions uh i doubt there's anybody listening to us who hasn't been in some way touched by this problem sure yeah and if you think i got it right or got it wrong or partly or mostly or whatever let, let us know you're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill
2: Bennett
0: Show. Here is Vin Weber, uh, my former partner at Empower America with Jack Kemp and Gene Kirkpatrick, the former chairman of the National Endowment for Democracy. And Vin, good to talk to you. Thank you.
3: Great to be with you, Bill. You know, we used to see each other every day in, in Empower America, and uh, uh, I'm, I miss our, our regular conversations, but it's good to be on, on this with you.
0: Well, you were I think you were tasked keeping both Jack Kemp and Bill Bennett under control. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, I think that was Mission Impossible, but that was sort of my job description, and I, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Someone
0: said he's the brake, and you guys are like two accelerators. I said, "Yeah, well, uh, anyway, you're great it was and fun. you're great and wise counsel." And then you did that sum for Mr. Gingrich,
3: didn't you? Uh, well, yeah, Newt and I were great uh, allies in the House of Representatives. That was that was before Empower America, really. And I, yep. we uh, we we worked together on on bringing Republicans into the majority, which Newt ultimately achieved of course but uh yeah we, we we had a we had what in those days uh, amounted to sort of an insurrection but today you look at you look at like the squad and the democratic party and uh, we were we were pretty tame compared to those folks
2: yeah what were
0: you what, what was the name of your group what what was the nickname that
3: you all were given we, we we called it after considerable thought the conservative opportunity society, society. that's right
0: that's
2: and, right
3: and it was it was designed to be a counterpoint to What we thought was the dominant uh, political dynamic in the country and had been for, for decades, that being the liberal welfare state. Right.
0: Who else was in that COS group?
2: Uh,
3: Bob a, Walker, sure. Bob Walker from Pennsylvania sure. is one of the founders. Uh, Connie Mack, uh, who went on to become United States Senator from uh, Florida, was was active with us. Uh, Duncan Hunter, who went on to become the Chairman mm-hmm. of the Armed Services Committee, uh, lots of other guys. Joe okay. Barton from uh, Texas. We 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 had a we had a good group.
0: Great. Uh, I have no particular agenda. I just want to talk to you about politics, uh, contemporary configurations, what you're thinking, and all. But I realize, Claude, I think this is the first a person we have had on from Minnesota, certainly first representative. We tried to get Elon Omar, I think, but we had no luck.
3: Yeah, okay. I don't think you will. Uh, Would you well, tell me... A I'm in Minnesota, and that's a big story here, as it is nationwide.
0: What, what is the, I was just looking, the, the 5th Congressional District, I think, is her district. What is that district?
3: It, it's essentially the city of Minneapolis. It also includes a bunch of inner-ring suburbs, but the, the bulk of the population is the city of Minneapolis itself, all of which is in the 5th Congressional District, I believe. And it's, it's, it's got a larger minority population than most of Minnesota, but Minnesota is a pretty white state, if you will. So there's not a, it's not a majority right. minority district, but it has a substantial minority population. And then perhaps most important in understanding Ilhan's rise, uh, it has the, the largest Somali population uh, of any well of any congressional district in the country. And it's and they are a significant and organized and rising force in Minnesota politics.
0: Are they? Is the, are the people in that district happy? I understand there's a challenge to her. Is that right?
3: Well, it's it's not it's not clear. it's a very liberal district. Okay. Um, so they, they uh, like uh, that. So, so they like they like that part of it um there there are a couple of things and i don't know how the anti-israel anti-semitism charges play broadly in this district that that, that's that i think that they've kind of dismissed that because they want to defend her but i'm not sure that those are the feelings of the people in minneapolis Uh, and then the things that have come out just this week particularly about uh, Ilhan's personal life are are are, you know have to have to eat away at her but let me let make clear she she has a lot of support in that district uh, and they're being being a left liberal democratic district they have great pride on the identity politics side of this she is the f- first african-american muslim somali woman elected to congress and and that as we know in the politics of the democratic party those things matter a great great deal and they give her a lot of protection against some of the attacks that come at her personally but we'll see how it all develops the minneapolis star tribune has not been shy about exploring uh these questions about Ilhan's personal life
0: did the star minneapolis star tribune supporter endorser do you know
3: Yes, they did, we and did. their okay. and their their headquarters is exactly in the probably in the geographic center of her district, right. and they are traditionally a more democratic paper, not 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 quite as far left as they used to be. They used to be a very liberal paper, but they're still a left of center, democratic oriented paper that support her. But they're investigating this rather thoroughly.
0: You know, it's an interesting thing you say though. She's she's popular, and I'll bet. One of the reasons she's popular is because she's popular. I mean, I, I, it's a funny yeah, thing I've yeah. noticed. You know more about this than I do. But people kind of like it when their member of Congress is prominent, is well known. They, they, I think that's worth a few points in a reelection. you know?
3: Yeah, I think that that's exactly right, and and, and, a, and a tangible effect of that, which is not necessarily entirely from her district, but she's raised a huge amount of money. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the last report I think showed she raised eight hundred thousand dollars, and and that's probably now I would guess over seven figures, which indicates that yeah. that who she is has a uh, has a constituency yeah. around the country. That that's what the real friends of Israel and I'm one of them and you're one of them, Bill. That's what we ought to be concerned about, and that's what the Democrats need to yeah. think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is how strong is this? How strong is this constituency for her message? I don't. I, I'm not one who it's, that says as maybe the president said that the Democrats are now the anti-Israel party. I don't. I don't believe that because I know the Democrats in Congress and most sure. of them are not. But there, I, I also think it's undeniable there is a rising anti-Israel constituency within the Democratic Party, particularly among. young young liberals, and paying attention to that is pretty important.
0: Yeah, it sure is. Just back to this uh, liking, the prominence of your representative. Funny story, you may have one, but you remember when Tom Foley was the majority leader, or the speaker? Sure. Um, Sure. I I went out and campaigned for a guy who was running against him, Republican, and um, and on the way from the airport into the rally where I was to speak, the guy said, by the way, um, I know you know your civics, most of the people in this district think that our guy, let's call him Bob is not, wasn't his name. If he wins, he'll become the speaker of the house because he, <laughs> because right. he's challenging Foley. And they think, yeah, the Speaker yeah, of the House, yeah. I said, the folks out here in, what was it, Spokane or someplace, you know. Spokane. Yeah, Spokane, yeah. I believe, believe that this they own they own the Speakership. He said, well, <laughs> it's just the way people think. You know, they don't go deep in politics. They just like yeah, what they like. Anyway, yeah. a, lot of, yeah. a lot of interesting. Let's make the segue from the squad, and I, and I think you're absolutely right in what you're saying. One of the things I've said, and I've been saying this some on TV, is... I appreciate the warning and the concern, and I do think um, the squad represents a aberrant, I hope aberrant, um, um, uh, point of view in American politics. We'll see if it does in the Democrat Party. But my point has been, you know, I've said that about the president, and uh, people listen to the show think I'm, most of them think I'm too easy on the president, but uh, 30% think I'm too hard on the president. I've wondered why he goes after the squad so much, uh, in terms of their positions, I, I don't mean personal stuff, which we can do without certainly, because it seems to me if you take their policy positions, they're pretty much the same as the major candidates running for president in the Democrat Party. Why so, not? Well, th- I
3: think that I think that answers your question, though. That's why the president goes after him. A major part of his strategy for reelection has to be the highlight. The leftward lurch of the Democratic Party, and ultimately he's going to be running against one of those Democratic presidential candidates, but until we get to that point, making the point that they are basically all embracing much the same policies as the squad serves the president's purpose in branding the Democratic Party on the left.
0: But why do it with the risks that are attendant upon that? You're going after, you know, minority women go yeah, temptation right. to say, go back where you came from, things that get present in difficulty with a lot of people in the middle of the road, rather than, a, you know, a straightforward attack on white male Bernie Sanders,
3: you know? I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. I don't like the notion of our leader attacking for women and a couple of women of color. That's, yeah, yeah. That, that's that. That's not good, and, and he he has displayed an insensitivity to that, to say the least, for a long, long time. It's not serving him well.
0: Yeah, but you know, but I understand why he's rankled, and of course, they're keeping this going. And this is a guy who punches back. You know, once the the once the punches are thrown, this guy's a counterpuncher. You know, he's he's yeah. going to punch, him, and yeah. they know that. And though they're. I think they're now continuing to bait him. You know, but well, I, I, it I serves
3: th- their purpose. It, it, it makes them, I mean, they're developing a national following, right. and every time they become the primary combatants with President Trump, as opposed to Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, their national constituency grows a little bit on the left.
0: And we don't want to encourage that. We don't want to nurture that flower, do we? We don't I, want to I water
3: that flower. No. No. So I, don't, I don't think that's good at all. I, I I actually, I mean, you and I are conservative Republicans, but I, I basically believe we need two parties that kind of operate within certain bounds of acceptability. And the Democrats, much more than the Republicans are getting, in my view, are getting outside of those bounds, and that's a very dangerous thing to me.
0: Uh, you know, i, I got to say the one part that I just don't figure at all uh, on this, and again, you could go after the, the the squad, or you could go after leading contenders of the Democrat Party. Uh, all of them is is immigration. I mean, what exactly is their theory? I mean, is is this a country? Do we have borders? Uh, is this a sovereign nation? Uh, you know, when they all raise their hands about you know, it's not illegal anymore to jump jump over the fence and unlimited welfare benefits. What I mean, that kind of boggles the mind, doesn't
3: it? Yeah, it, well, we yeah we think about how the debate on immigration has changed on the Democratic side. We used to have a genuine debate about some genuine issues like how many people we should let into the country, uh, how we should treat the people that are already here illegally in terms of path to citizenship, path to legalization, things like that. Those were all contentious issues, but the Democrats in in just in the last you know year or two have gone beyond those arguments. Toward the notion of really open borders, and that's why the president talks about open borders all the time. I think what the, I think what the Democrats fail to realize politically, and it's true of this issue, it's true of health care, it's true of the environment, is whatever the polling may say right now, it does not necessarily indicate how those issues are going to be litigated in the course of a political campaign. You can look at polls right now, and it says, "Oh, yeah, people are generally in favor of more liberal immigration," and, and people are generally people even Medicare for all well, everybody likes Medicare, so that 's kind of popular and yeah we 're all environmentalists we want to we want a green revolution, but there 's a lot of real world experience in this country and elsewhere in the Western world and most recently in the Australian presidential election that shows that once that you when you litigate those issues through a through a national campaign. The, pub, the public is very likely to switch to the other side. The Democrats are embracing whatever current polls say, in my view, they're embracing the losing side of, of those and other issues in the upcoming campaign.
0: Uh, educate me and, and maybe the audience a little bit on the Australia. I note the uh, the Prime Minister uh, is coming uh, to visit with the President. I've been invited to a couple of sort of ancillary events. But uh, what what happened there in Australia?
3: Well, I'll... let me... First of all, yeah, it, it's a very instructive election. I was in Australia for nine days for a very sad reason. My my wife's uh, younger sister passed away, and she lived down there, and we, sorry, we went sorry. to her funeral. Yeah, very sorry. But while I'm there, you know, I'm a news junkie just like yeah. you. I read the news, watched local news, and the campaign was raging. And there are two counter stories that you could track almost every day. One was by the political writers, the absolute certainty that the left left party, Labor, was gonna win this election. The conservative parties had failed, they'd had three leaders in a couple of years, there was a, a mini-scandal. It was just certain that Labor and the left party was gonna win this election. The other set of stories, though, that I saw, not written necessarily by the political writers, but by the policy writers and economics writers, was talking about the crazy proposals that were coming out of Shorten, that was the name of the Labor candidate's campaign, like convert the entire country to electric cars. And they'd say, well, somebody did a study about how much it would cost to replace all of our existing gas stations with charging stations, electric charging stations, and it's, you know, gazillions of dollars. And policy after policy after policy, he was being discredited for having gone too far to the left. And lo and behold, right up until Election Day, Bill, the predictions were certain that the Labor Party was going to win, and he lost. And I I have to believe, and I think there's post-election polling in Australia that showed that it was because those policies were ultimately rejected. Now, i got to say, Morrison, the, the prime minister, did a great job, at least what I saw of it, while he was campaigning out there on those issues to, to say, you know, we're, yeah, yes, we're an environmentally sensitive country, but we're not going to shut down coal production because that's where we're a big coal producer. We're not going to be able to convert the whole country to electric cars. We're not going to be able to do some of these other things. And people, even environmentally sensitive people, said, yeah, you know, it's, 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 we can't do that. The Democrats are embracing this with this big Green New Deal thing and I, I believe the same thing about the health care issue. I think you can you can embrace medicare for all it 's popular right. on day one by the time we get to voting. Day, people are going to realize that means well, I lose my private health insurance I, my relationship with my doctor is endangered, and you know i, I don 't think i 'm going to go for that
0: yeah, very good oh, now I know what to say if I happen to meet the guy i got <laughs> i 'll make believe i 'm you. Uh, but
3: he, did. Reading he did. a remarkable papers. job. Yeah, that's he did amazing. a remarkable job, and he carried it off a lot by himself. There was a lot afterwards when a, you know you win an election. All of a sudden, you're you're a genius and you're wonderful. But after the election, the coverage of Morrison was how he had single handedly carried this off with his personal campaigning around the country. So he deserves a lot of credit.
0: Let's uh, let's talk about the, that in relation to the Democrats and, and the lead. As I see it, um, I, I don't think. Biden's going to make it. I, I may be wrong. But uh, first of all, the, it's an incoherent sort of strategy, overall strategy. I'm the guy you know. I'm the guy of experience. Meanwhile, he keeps changing and flipping over to the left. He was one of the guys with his hands up on a lot of those uh, questions, uh, going to the Bernie and, and, and Elizabeth Warren side. The other reason is I think all the energy is on the. Um, the uh, the the Warren and, and Sanders side. I mean, I think it's a three person race at this point. But um, what do you
3: think? I you know you and I agree completely on this. Um, it, it's it's an unpredictable race. I'll, right. I'll say right. that. But I agree with everything I agree. you just said. I, I sort of look at these candidates. Let's take those three. And, and one of the things you have to look at and say, all right, we, we now know enough about how these candidates are positioning themselves in the race. To be able to ask ourselves, is that a sustainable position? Can 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 they be in six months, and eight months, and nine months who they are today, and and carry that to victory? You look at Elizabeth Warren, okay, who you and I are not anywhere, and we're near where she is politically, almost everything. But what she is is a progressive activist liberal, and she's she's carrying that on. And she's going to be a progressive activist liberal in three, six months. She shows a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm. That ain't going to change. Now, I don't think that wins her the White House, but I think it's going to be a sustainable way for her to campaign through the election. Joe Biden, on the other hand, as people are increasingly talking about it, has been saying, well, you know, I was Obama's vice president, but, uh, you know, know, I'm I'm the electable one. Well, that's not a sustainable position. We're, We're seeing now some of the polls, not all of them, but some of the polls are starting to show him slipping. More importantly, polls are showing that other Democrats are as credible against President Trump as Biden. So he doesn't have a rationale for for his candidacy, in my judgment, that's going to hold up for a long period of time. He still maybe could develop one, but it isn't there now. Yeah, but wh- whoever it is,
0: because of his shift to the left on a lot of things, President Trump will have a lot of left leftist stuff to run against, won't he?
3: Absolutely. The Democrats have all moved way to the left, and it's, it's too late for them to change that. Yeah. I, 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 every now and then I hear a Democrat strategist on cable news say, well, don't worry about it. That stuff's not going to be in our platform. You know, how many voters read the platform? <laughs> we've, we've seen it in the Democratic yeah. debates. They've embraced, they've embraced all of these positions. And, and you know, back to our point about the president and the squad, you've got the squad and other Democrats on the left taking very strong positions, uh anti-israel, pro-medicare for all, all these other issues, the open borders. And you know, I, I just think that the Democratic Party is branding itself in that position. The question for for the for for President Trump is is the dislike of the president by uh, strong enough so that it's going to override people's ideological objection or the other way around? Right.
0: Let's I want to get to President Trump in a minute. But one last thing. Yeah. Here's how I view the. I'll, I'll tell you what I think and get your reaction. I don't see the uh, the Warren uh, Sanders thing getting settled anytime soon. I think they're both strong candidates. I think she's actually very strong. And she's getting huge crowds. Bernie has maybe the most loyal people and supporters. And the way the rules work, he's going to get 15% in every state, you know, from, from the voting Democrats. I mean, he's going to the convention, I think, and she's going to the convention. Now, if one yeah. of them dropped out and, you know, and suggested their people go to the other candidate... That, that, that would probably equal or, or be a larger number than Biden if people decided to take that advice. But how does that and when does that get resolved, do you think?
3: Well, we don't know that because the Democrats' rules changed, as you pointed out, and you you don't you don't have to have the nomination in hand yeah. to go to the convention anymore. And yeah. I, I think you're I think you're right. I think Sanders Sanders is, has again back to our point about do you have a sustainable message and rationale for your candidacy? Yes, Bernie is a democratic socialist. I don't think that's a majority <laughs> of the Democratic crazy. Party, even. But, but, but that's that's who he is. That's yeah. who he's going to be. There's a certain percentage of the Democratic Party that that's what they want, and they're going to vote for him. Yeah. Um, and, and and Elizabeth Warren, I, I I've, I've got to say, I watch her. You watch her. You know, just don't don't agree with a word she says. But boy, she is a dynamic candidate. Yes, she is. And and, and it, you you got to give her that raw political skill. She she excites an audience. She shows a lot of energy. I, I you know when I when I see her with all this energy, and she's got a lot of it. The first thing comes to my mind is president labeling Joe. Biden and Sleepy Joe, that's a real contrast between dynamic Elizabeth Warren and Sleepy Joe. I'm not sure that the president meant to establish the the contrast between those two candidates. I think he wanted to establish a contrast between Joe Biden, who he thought was going to win, and himself. But if, if I were a Democratic voter listening to what the president says, I'd think, yeah, I got Sleepy Joe or a dynamic Elizabeth. Which one am I going to go for?
0: Yeah, okay. Should we uh, pause for 10 seconds and say anything about um, Joe Walsh? uh, uh Bill Weld or Mark Sanford?
3: Well, I know we know about Bill Weld quite well. He was actually oh. uh, on the periphery of Empower America for a while. Good guy. Yeah. I know Mark. I know good, Mark Sanford. Good governor. Good governor. Good, good, good governor of Massachusetts. Right. The best governors of Massachusetts have been Republicans. Right. Um, uh, Joe Walsh. I don't know. Uh, Mark Sanford, I do know. I, and I, you know, it's, it's, it, it's troublesome to the president that you got, have more people coming forward. But I still don't see any real revolt against Trump within the Republican party. That's I think, that, I think that the party has, has bought Donald Trump and, and he owns the party for the time being. Uh, unless his vulnerability in the polls grows, and continues to frighten people, I just don't see a real challenge to to Trump going anywhere, and certainly not by the three people we talked about. Yeah, okay.
0: Let's talk about the president and his chances. Uh, I hear conflicting things. I mean, every poll I read says he's going to lose, you know. All Uh, these Democrats beat him. You you mentioned that earlier. Uh, Disapproval ratings way up there. Uh, China uh, getting a deal looks unlikely. What, what can harm him the most? The personality stuff, the, you know, the angry president, the sticking his finger, waving his finger at people, uh, not getting a China deal. How, how critical is that? You know, the farmers well, in Minnesota.
3: Well, the the decline of the economy—if that happens—that yeah. would be the worst. That would be the worst thing cause, right. for him because right. he, he, here's the, here's a, here's a way a way of looking at the presidential race. As I you know, I, I watch the polls just because I'm a junkie nerd type guy and. Uh, the president has consistently had about 40% support against anybody that runs against him, right, okay? Right. His approval rating is a little higher. It's, it bounces around between 43, 44, 45%. I think in a campaign he can get up to 43, 44, 45% pretty easy because he's just got to convince people that like him and approve of him so they will got to vote for him, okay? That's not too hard. But that's not enough to win. And so uh, he's got to get another three or 4% of the vote from people that do not like him. Yeah. And so I thought of that when I, when I heard the president at the rally the other day, say something that, that, you know, the news media jumped all over and he said, even if you hate me, you got to vote for me. And everybody <laughs> laughed on this is old Trump just running yeah. off the mouth. Yeah. I thought, I thought, no, the president gets it. There There's get got to be a certain percentage of yeah. people out there that say, I do not like this guy, but his policies are making my life better, and the stuff the Democrats are offering us is, offering us is just wacko, and that's possible.
0: And there really has not been uh, a f- serious, sustained critique of these left-wing positions of Warren and, uh, and, and and Sanders. I mean, the stuff that's come out from uh steve bullock and from hickenlooper and john delaney it just yes yeah, these are light punches and they go nowhere but i mean a long sustained three four months over the summer a campaign about what the the price what you were referring to earlier vin the price tag are you people crazy everybody who comes in gets benefits you know i mean hadn't hadn't yeah. started i mean if you were park scale isn't that his name the chief strategist would you be fairly confident
3: I I would be confident that I know exactly what kind of campaign I'm going to run. And, And that gets back to a little bit of our analysis of the Democrats. I'm not sure... Once Joe Biden has convinced everybody that he's the most electable candidate, how he translates that into a campaign against Trump, you know, vote for me against Trump because I can beat Trump. You know, I don't think that's a winning message. I think that uh, the Trump campaign knows what they're going to say and knows how they're going to say it. And I and I think I, I don't think it's a slam dunk. I mean, I think the president's personal you know, different difficulties. Prop- his propensity to piss people off—pardon my language—is I guess that's not language that we need to be worried about anymore, is it? On <laughs> podcast, no, sir. <laughs> but, but I think I think that he 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 does have this, as you pointed out, his negatives are over fifty percent, have been consistently for a long time, and he does have to convince people. Who don't like him? A certain number of them to vote for him, and I, I think that the the campaign gets that, and they know how they're going to go about doing it. But there's no guarantee that it's going to happen. And certainly, if the economy slips, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it will be very difficult. Let me let's take one second on China. First of all, there's a, there's a couple of possible outcomes on China. Most people, I think, think. Either the president is going to get a deal, it's going to boost the economy, and it's going to be good for him, or he's not, and it's going to be bad for the economy, and it's going to hurt him. That's one way of looking at it. But there's another way of looking at it, which is the president has escalated people's understanding of the threat to China, uh, that China poses to us, economically, diplomatically, politically, and militarily. And if he doesn't get a deal, uh, although he, I know he'd rather have one, and I'd sure rather have him have one, there's a campaign there that says, you know, you don't want to elect the party that's soft on China. Uh, I, I think 10 years ago that wouldn't have worked because most Americans were very hopeful about developing a great trading relationship with China and a friendly a relationship with point, China, things like that. But people's attitudes on China have changed, and they're, they're beginning to see them as they're, they're, they're spying on us. They're stealing our intellectual property. They're building up their military in the in the East. They're threatening Hong Kong. They're maybe threatening Taiwan. They're oppressing their their Muslim population, the Uyghurs in the, in the, the western part of the country and 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 if you I would not want to go into this campaign being the pro-china candidate that's that's and that if the president can't get a deal with China that helps the economy my bet is that he pivots and runs campaigns campaign and says I'm the guy that's standing up to China and the other guys will cave to him
0: very interesting yeah there's been a kind of education going on here by the president and uh, and, it, and it was needed uh, yeah. and you know hes he said in a couple of great comments I think you know we go for a deal I hope we'll get a deal you know I'm confident we'll get a deal but you know somebody had to do this somebody had to do it and, uh, and i'm the guy who's doing it then uh, we yep. ran over we talked longer but you're such a great guest so valuable and smart and uh, and valuable and uh, well, and we thank you
3: always, always great to talk with you.
0: Are you sitting on your deck in minnesota
3: i'm, I'm well I'm sitting on it's a kind of a cold it's it's a blustery day, as they would say in the Winnie the Pooh novels. It's in here in Minnesota, but I'm looking out at the lake, and it's a lot nicer here than where than in the heat and humidity of other parts of the country. Oh,
0: uh, can we ever persuade Mrs. Bennett from South Carolina born in South Carolina to get into that lake? Remember, we spent years trying to do that.
3: Yeah, I don't know. South Carolina is a long ways away. If, you, if, you, if she comes, if she comes in late July, it might be just warm enough for her.
0: <laughs> uh, you spent one full year explaining to her that it wasn't covered in ice all the time. I think anyway. <laughs> that's, that's uh, anyway, right. <laughs> thank you, Vin. Thank you very okay. much. Appreciate Thanks, it. You, Bill. great to talk with you. Yes, sir. Bye bye. You are listening to the Bill Bennett Show. Joining us now is Conrad Black, author and non-affiliated member of the House of Lords. All right, well, I'm bowing to the audience, and they've said, all right, you keep saying this, what does it mean? And I said, damned if I know here in the colonies. Everybody wants to know what a non-affiliated member of the House of Lords is. (laughs) Uh, uh, We we don't do that
4: stuff here. What's that? It's a status that's about to change. Boris has told me he's going to publicly invite me back, but... When all the legal problems set upon me, I took a leave of absence, which you can do. And that way you don't have to report each year what your interests are and so on, but but you don't participate in debate. So, uh, But I still receive all the material and everything, but I'm about to go back
0: to being an active member. So we can say Conrad Black, author and member of the House of Lords? Uh, indeed, and I have been. I never ceased to be a member. I just ceased to be an active member. Well, we've always scrupulously said non-affiliated member did we not have to do that
4: I, I know that's a separate issue that means not not connected to either party but boris is about to invite me back into the conservative party so i'm about to become a conservative
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, okay an active conservative peer all right all right now you've you've, you've you've baited the host here boris what do you think are you a boris guy absolutely
4: okay. i mean i hired him as um, uh, as the uh Correspondent in Brussels for the Daily Telegraph, in which role he had a great influence on British opinion in Europe. And then I hired him as editor of the Spectator, which we owned. And, uh, and, he's had one of these amazing careers, like a bouncing American football. I mean, American in the sense that it's an odd shape, so you, you can't predict where it'll bounce. But he, you know, he, he went from correspondent in Brussels to editor of the Spectator to member of Parliament, mayor of London, foreign secretary, uh, leader of the uh, op, the conservative opposition to the conservative leader and then and then and then the prime minister i mean it, it, it's it's an astounding career path
2: yeah
0: does it's he remind work? you of it's donald bad. trump i mean you've known him longer than you've known trump i guess yeah
4: yes be, be slightly longer
0: um uh, yes and no
4: he, he's a much more uh, academic, classically academic in his view of things. You know, uh-huh. he's, he's uh, familiar. You know, he's got a traditional right. Oxford, Eton College education. You know, where he knows a lot about, uh, uh, you know, the, the Gracchi and the Caesars and the Greeks and all this kind of stuff. He's gonna quote and that uh, too, so he's he, going he, to quote Gracchi,
0: the Gracchi, right?
4: It, it, well, it, you know, he's not going to emulate their faith, though. But the um, no, but Trump's uh, not gonna, it, Trump's not going to quote,
0: you know, Livy,
4: right? No, they, so he, he's got that sort of academic style, and he's yeah. got that, uh, and he's also got. Um, he's not commercial at all. I, I mean, Boris, in my opinion, if cast out into the commercial world, would would have to choose his niche very carefully. He's he's not he's not got a mind for money like like, like Donald Trump does, and I don't think he'd run an organization like Trump did, but. But he's, he's the man for the hour. He's the one to slice the Gordian knot. This this uh, three-year uncertainty about whether Britain was a sovereign country, as I've described it, is the greatest failing in British government since the American Revolution. It's just been floundering. And, and for three years, I mean, she meant well. She's a good person. I don't like to attack her after she's gone. But Theresa May was essentially a Remainer trying to pretend she was leaving. And, you know, there was a referendum, and the choices were remain and leave. No one asked for an option, you know, a a sort of a a compromise. And then she tried to invent one and invent a majority for it, and it, it wasn't appropriate. So we had Cameron thinking that Britain could never vote to leave, so presenting an absurdly stark option between practically no concessions from Europe, and he'd promised, and i and I quote, full-on treaty change, and said he got almost nothing, but he thought they'd never dare to leave, and, and they're the wrong electorate to bluff that way. Then we had a prime minister who claimed she was a leaver, but in fact was a remainer, and that didn't fly for obvious reasons. But, you know, Boris is a leaver, but he will remain if they meet his terms, and, and he, he has outmaneuvered everybody. I mean, Europe knows that they have to make an offer that is serious that could pass the British Parliament or they lose their second largest economy and by some margin, their most distinguished nationality. That must be said of the British. And and, um, I mean, they're, they're all great countries, France, Italy, and so on. But as a political nationality, Britain is extremely respected and deserves to be. And, and uh and it'd be like texas leaving the u.s or something it's a very serious matter for them and they haven't treated it seriously and and if they don't move they just go out automatically and if boris has to face an electorate after the fact or after a compromise has been made if he get if they make a reasonable offer he would win an election if he faced one and and if he doesn't uh it's conceivable there would be an election, but Nigel Farage and the Brexit party and he would run a joint ticket. You know, they'd, they'd divide the constituencies and they would win. So I I say Boris wins.
0: Boris wins. Let me see if I follow that. If, the, if Europe makes a reasonable offer, he'll take it and he wins. If they make an unreasonable offer, he doesn't take it and he wins. My
4: That's it. right. Okay. They, they, they okay. just go out by operation of the calendar. They leave on, you know, right. trick or treat and right. good night, Brussels. What, and, and, uh, what's your and guess? Then what's your guess? What will happen? I, I think, uh, uh, torpid though they have been, I, I think uh, um, Macron Merkel, who, who are the keys here, uh, and, and they're not at the top of their, their influence, either of them, but. I think they will insist that Brussels make a serious offer, which essentially consists of a common market for everybody and political integration for the countries that wish it only. And, um, and I, and I think they will force that. And I think Britain would accept that. Um, but uh, but it's uh, since you forced me to choose, I pay, put that at fifty one percent. I think forty nine percent would be okay. that, that they will fumble around, not produce anything, and Britain will walk. and And the implications to this uh, for the United States are very serious and very positive. The, the European Union was in some measure an anti American organization. It always was. It had gallist elements. And sort of Colonel Blimp, British Tory elements like Ted Heath, you know, and and sort of sock dim Billy Brandt elements, who all wanted Europe. Once the Russian threat had been defeated, basically by the United States, they wanted to be out from under the, the Americans as well, and they had this romantic idea that they could all stand in, on each other's shoulders and be and be a great influence in the world again as they were before the First World War, and even even up to the Second World War. And it was nonsense. But that that if you got Ted Heath enough drinks and act, act you know asked him closely, that's what you got to okay. and if Boris Lee takes Britain out of Europe he will automatically get closer to the United States and that's the okay. fifth that's good. strongest economy moving from Europe to the North American good. orbit
0: good good all right i'm still stuck on what you where you started which is the bookish thing i was just thinking of our president
4: uh, well t- that's a they've got the clownish thing and the sense of humor and they've got the unorthodox approach and the unusual career path moving you know between different things that there isn't much precedent for. You've got all of that. But fundamentally, Boris has sat there in Parliament most of the time for the last 20 years. Yeah. He, he did hold cabinet office. He came up in a semi-orthodox way, and he has a classic Oxbridge public school
0: education. Yeah. No, I was just thinking of our president, unlikely, you know, and, and gets up there to rally and says, oh, Pocahontas and uh, Crazy Bernie reminds me of a line from Ovid's Metamorphosis. What, what doesn't belong in this sentence, right?
4: Well, you know, there is a parallel. When, when uh, Boris was running for mayor against Red Ken Livingston, he said, I'm running against Mayor Leaving soon." You know, he, he does things like that. So yeah. there is a parallel at that level, That's a jokey level.
0: Uh, well, since we're overseas, let's stay there a minute. We just talked to Vin Weber. Did you ever know Vin Weber, Congressman Weber? Uh, I it, it did not. Not
4: I wouldn't say no, but n- no, I've. Of him. Of him, yeah, he uh,
0: was my partner at Empower America with Jack Kemp and Gene Kirkpatrick. Um, but Vin just I knew got. Them. What's that? I knew them, too. Yeah, sure. He just got back from Australia and educated me. I didn't know about this. Uh, you probably do. Uh, uh, all the papers, all the editorial pages, all the pundits were saying that the labor liberals were going to win. Crush. Uh, uh, the conservatives and uh, just the reverse um and yeah. you had there kind of the liberal
4: party is conservative and the labor party is supposedly left so right. it hasn't always been that left. Right. It, 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 you're right the media got it completely wrong and this guy morrison is to use margaret thatcher's old expression one of us when yeah. he'll get on
0: like smoke with trump and johnson yeah i'm supposed to meet him i've been invited to a couple of things he's coming here in a couple of weeks and uh, I'm excited to meet him. And now that I've heard about this, what is this string of the punditry here? You know, I mean, the big one, of course, biggest one is Trump. But, I mean, there's the Brexit was predicted to would go down, right? Uh, yep. Netanyahu was supposed to go down. Morrison wasn't supposed to win. There are others we can cite.
4: Yeah. And, and, and you know, we have an election coming up here in less than two months. Please. And, uh, well, I, I wouldn't count on Trudeau being reelected. The, the media seem to think he probably will be, but I, w- I wouldn't be so sure of that.
2: Mm-hmm. What
4: well, is uh, the challenge of not following at right. all?
0: Are there several?
4: Uh, w- well, uh, no. There's really only one alternative. His name's Andrew Shear, And he, he has played a deliberately uh, sort of lay-low strategy, but he's well-organized, well-financed, and they're going to come out of the gate like a shot. His hand, and mm-hmm. I, I, I think he'll be... It'll be one of those things where expectations aren't high and he'll exceed them. And and I think he'll probably do quite well. But, you know, we have to see. As you know, once the campaign gets going, things can, can bounce around quite a bit. Right, but but um, I, yeah, you, you make a good point. I, somewhere or other, the, and I, this will require a lot of analysis to speak of it confidently and sweeping statements, but the, the, the commentariat, just got onto the wrong ship, and they 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 were they were they were not sailing on the same ocean and and they just took leave of where opinion is in the democratic world and they took they took leave of of the performance of the incumbents they were supporting you know they bought into the flat line new normal everywhere we, we were just going you know national pride was bad, we would homogenize with whoever chose to uh, to uh, homogenize with us and um and uh nationalism has always been a bad thing and our countries are bad examples of it and all we can do is backpedal out of the industrial revolution to save the planet and and, and hand everything over to uh, essentially quasi-Marxist theorists claiming still to support pre-elections as long as they win them. Well, that isn't where the people are.
0: Are they in denial or do they, do they not know? The, a couple of things here struck me as very odd. One is, well, i get to the New York Times in a second, but all all the stuff about collusion with the Russians, right? And people, you know, it it wasn't there. Nevertheless, uh, someone told me who's in the journalist world that all sorts of awards were given to journalists for their excellent reporting about collusion with the Russians. Indeed. Well, what the hell? I mean, shouldn't they give them back? Isn't this like cheating in a race or something?
4: You mean like... uh Henry Kissinger giving back the Nobel Prize, yeah,
2: yeah.
0: I
4: mean, he did it because I mean he was doing his best, but it wasn't peace, and so he gave it back very honorably. Yeah, but, but um, yes, the answer is yes. But the, when you expect journalists to give back anything, you're 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 oh, you're, okay. you're stretching your, your okay, thoughts indulge. to a, a different world. The next one, not this one.
0: Indulge me a The New York Times, Dean yeah. Steinbecket said, you know, in this memo about race in America said, okay, you know, we worked on the collusion thing, and, you know, uh, we did an excellent job. No, you didn't. You know, no, you didn't. Right, you, right. You, I mean, you didn't do an yeah, excellent job. This was this job. guy, Beckett's uh, claim to his staff. Back, I believe. Back,
4: back yeah, is that how you pronounce oh, it? Oh, who knows? I'm just oh, I'm kidding. You, oh, uh, it's incredible. It's shocking. And, of course, it's taking place in. Against the backdrop of a very difficult time economically for the traditional written newspapers, and and uh, uh, they're getting squeezed on all sides, and and uh, uh, you know, and the Salzburgers have scaled back their position. And I, I think if things get any more difficult, we'll have Mr. Slim as the pack owner. Who, frankly, I think would be an improvement. Carlos but Slim. The, uh, yeah, well, isn't he the <laughs> big note holder there? Yes, if they follow the ratios, I think he gets to vote. But I'm not sure of the terms of the debt instruments. But the um, uh, I, I, I am mystified at the stages the Times itself has followed. I mean, if you recall, right after the last election, it was acknowledged that they had miscalled it with Trump. They'd reported in a way that was biased against Trump. Uh, but then they didn't say anything about trying to do better with President Trump as opposed to the candidate, and and now that Russia is just blowing up in their faces after you know they created the the, the rubbish about Papadopoulos and they you know they, they elements of the Russian myth were entirely created by the Times itself, and and and, and, and I found uh, Bequeff, if that's how he pronounces his name, I, th- I found his remarks as reported just completely astounding shameless and shameful
0: yeah and now now race will be the whole thing for the
4: New which York is Times. rubbish too i mean he yeah sure he, you you know trump i mean you can say lots of things about history. him he's not the most
0: history. stylish guy in the world but he has never i don't think he has a racist bone in his body I'm i don't talking, think he cares about that no i'm talking at about all. i'm talking about american history i know that too i got my book coming out in october American last good. best hope, and I mean, I, I know about race, and I know what an important part of American history it is. I also know it's not responsible for everything. Slavery, I also <laughs> know that.
4: Yeah, I, it, look, it seems to me now. You tell me if I'm smoking something. You're sitting there in the eye of the storm, but. I see a Democratic Party where the leadership of it is being contended for by a bunch of people who are, are, are you have essentially a, a very I guess an amiable but very secondary journeyman being carried to the finish line by his handlers without you know confusing the United States and verbal slips with uh, Denmark or something and and um, and on the other side a bunch of people who have signed on to a program some. Large part of a menu including uh, the green terror, open borders, increased taxes, totally socialized medicines, uh, medicine, Medicare, uh, trillions of dollars of reparations to non-white Americans, and so on. Uh, that once they get into the campaign, the the president will hang around their necks and, and you know lynch them with it, and. I, I mean i i just i don't see this as a, as a at this stage an election where there's where there's anything more than a formality going on to continue the trump administration but I mean, nobody else seems
0: to see that, that way. yeah no 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 there's uh there's actually a lot of worry on the part of uh, trump supporters um I'm not. Uh, uh, I'm not immune to to it. I'm, I'm, I have some concerns. I think he'll win, but I'm, I have some concerns. This stuff gets in over the air vents. It's gotten to me. But um, there's actually more a sense that uh, oh boy, he's going to lose. Look at the polls. He's he's losing to all these people. That won't that won't hold because we were just talking to Vin Weber about it. I mean, no, there has not been a serious, sustained uh, criticism. Uh, of where Warren and Sanders are and where Biden has been moving less since his candidacy uh, yep. in terms of policy. And once that happens, uh, you know, this thing like the Australian thing, apparently this is what Morrison did. Uh, you know, he said, you know, they want to get rid of coal. Let me tell you what it's going to do to your prices, you know, issue yep. after issue. Of course, the president and, needs to and, and stick to employment. it. What? Yeah, right, right, right. So, uh, no, but I, I will admit to you, I guess maybe I'm just because I'm here in the eye of the storm, uh, that I have that I have some worry about it. Tell, talk to me for a minute about um, uh, about China, uh, because that's the latest thing that they're saying will sink. Uh, we'll sink Donald Trump. Let me just tell you what Vin Weber said, because uh, we're just off that interview. He said, I hope he gets a deal. I don't know if he'll get a deal, but I think he's going to get a lot of credit from Americans. For the educational work he's done about China, nobody has ever really done this before, reminded us of just what, you know, what a threat this is and how uh, serious an enemy uh, China is and how it has been milking the American people. Okay. I mean, it's it, it's a rival. It's not an enemy? Uh, I, I don't think they're dead set to tear America down
4: the like way Stalin was or Hitler Okay, was, fair I, enough. But I think they're a rival. Okay. But the, the, um, yeah, I, I that I agree with, but also, um, uh, I have to say, and it very much pleases me to be able to do this. I've been terribly impressed with the position that Chuck Schumer's taken, and I, you know, I'm, you may well imagine I'm not as most fervent and vocal admirer. Yeah, but no, I noticed we're we're back to you know that old thing that you and I were brought up on that. Partisanship ends at the water's edge, yep. and there was a bit of that from Joe Biden last week when the president was at Beirut, And I commend him for it. But, you know, in the end, the president speaks for all of us. And when he's talking about foreign policy, we wish him well. But uh, and Schumer has, and there must be considerable pressures on him from some quarters, in habitually in the Democratic Party, to break ranks. But he's saying, look, the president's right, and we've got to support him. Yeah, you just. And admit- I think that that, by the way, is is. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, a uh, tremendously important uh, arrow in his quiver. I mean, if he's got essentially a bipartisan majority in the in the official world, anyway, uh, supporting him, uh, he he has a very strong hand to play. I think it's a. I think they're doing exactly what if he were around now, Mister Churchill and General de Gaulle would tell us to do. That you, 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 there's clearly a developing rivalry. You move early when you've got the advantage. It's like what Roosevelt said to the French ambassador in '36: that don't let the Germans reoccupy the Rhineland. If you do, a year from now they'll be stronger than you are, and that's what happened. I mean, it, I'm not suggesting that the regime in Beijing is anything like the Nazis. It's just. There is a similarity of a rising rival that doesn't exactly wish us well. It's not. It's not a government of, 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 of uh, genocidal maniacs. I'm not saying that, I but it I don't think they, they want to kill us. you to, move early to
0: deal with it. I don't think they want to kill us. I think they want to be number one. No, well, for sure.
4: Right. That's all. Yeah, I, I agree with that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of uh, speaking of Stalin and Hitler, I don't know if you saw this one. Did you hear the quote from the chairman of the psychiatry department at Duke? Yeah, I, I, oh, God, I'm prepared to fear the worst. No, I'm ready oh, for it. Are you, you're sitting down, right? Dr. Yeah, Alan I, Francis, yeah, author of Twilight of American Sanity, appeared on CNN um, to, to push back against a Yale professor uh, who often appeared and said that you can't diagnose Trump from a distance. Uh, Dr. Francis was eager to. Uh, he was later um, in a conversation with host Brian Stelter, this chairman of the psychiatry department at Duke said, Trump is as destructive a person in this century as Hitler, Stalin, and Mao were in the last century.
4: Uh, that, uh, if you hadn't effectively abolished the tort of civil defamation, that would be one of the most monstrous slanders yeah. I've ever heard. I mean, Think- comparing him to people who, between them, we directly responsible for the deaths of over 100 million people. It, it is just a completely shocking thing to say. What do you- and indeed, it, 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 it reinforces our worst fears
0: about psychiatrists. Top of your head, or you may know this, but where do you put the numbers? Hitler 20... 20- Stalin forty, Mao eighty, something like that. Yeah, double, I, I double, double. Mao
4: at ninety. I'm going off, uh, you know, that big, uh, r- the, the communist uh, handbook or whatever black they call book, it. Black book, the know? black book, the black book. Yeah, uh, I, I Mao at ninety. Hitler, I would say you can attribute twenty, and Stalin, I'd say, uh, I, I think I'd be more thirty than forty. I mean, you, I, he, you can't hand them the whole bill for the Nazi-Soviet Pact, but you can hand them half of it. Yeah.
0: But you talked about the eye of the storm. Uh, I know it's the academy, but, you know, this is supposed to be you know, the School of Medicine. It's not the humanities chairman. Yeah, and, and, but,
4: and Duke was Mr. Nixon's uh, alma mater. It's a good university.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, great basketball. Uh, yeah, exactly but great you know, basketball. But uh, what yeah. does Thomas Moore say to Gloucester? I, say, I show you the times. You know, I show you where we live. This is where we live. Yeah. So so where are we going to be in a, in a year? if This is what's being said now.
4: Well, I, I think in a year it'll look a lot more like the seventy-two election. It'll be clear that you think, and uh, the scales will fall from the eyes of the more uh, you know, sensible of, of the anti-Trump people and say, you know, look, we got this wrong from the start, and we're we're in for it. We've got to take this guy for another four years, but let's learn the lessons and get the Democratic Party into shape. And and I, I think I think we'll start. I mean, I think we'll start to see things coming into a civilized traditional stream where one party wins decisively but but uh, there's no Watergate to deprive them of the fruits of victory and and the other party loses badly and realizes it made some mistakes and the and the sensible people in that party come to the top and I mean there aren't a whole lot of sensible people that are visible to me in the democrats right now but there must be a lot of such people there
0: well you know, visit with these women in the suburbs, and you might get a little nervous, like I do. I mean, it's just they. Well, just,
4: well are, are they are they all kooks who want to open
0: borders and high taxes no, and socialism? No, no, but we can't have this man. That's just yeah, you know, we can't have this man. We can't we can't have a man. Oh, like I know, this. I, I know that you, the, the, you know the spooky. line. I
4: do, I do. I I, I was yeah, uh, uh, you, know, you know, I'd speak to Henry Kissinger fairly often, and I happen to be speaking with him on. Um, two days ago, and he said it, 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 he, it wasn't this bad, even at the worst of Nixon. Uh, I mean, where you would go to someone's dinner party or something, and you, you simply could not... The subject couldn't be introduced without it leading to, you know, people leaving in anger, or slamming their back yes. down on the yes. table or something, you know? Yes! I mean, yes! I don't understand it. I mean, I, I accept that he's a, a you know, in... in he, he's a certainly quite a change of pace, but
0: he's but, a change of know. pace. Oh, that's great! That is the best thing you've ever said, and we've got a million great things. He is a change of pace. What is uh, that?
4: But, I but love that to justify people simply being unable to discuss them and keep their temper in you know? them.
0: Next person who stops me in liberal Montgomery County, Maryland, where I live, guy stopped me in his car and looked out and said, "I just never want to talk to you again. I think you're disgusting and horrible." I. In your support of Trump, I said, "Have we ever talked before?" He said, "No." I said, "Well, let's just keep it that way." You know, I mean, just gratuitous, just crazy, crazy. Yeah, well, no. I
4: I, I happened to see some some guy commenting on it. I guess it was Tucker last night on Montgomery County about uh, about how militantly the Authorities in that county prevent the police from cooperating yeah. at all with federal immigration laws. Yeah, the context in the end, of this. Somebody's going to have to deal with this. It's insurrectionism, you know. Yeah, I know. Mean, this 16
0: year old girl who had illegal climbing through a window with a knife at her throat.
4: And, 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 you know, Rahm Emanuel, well, unfortunately, he's gone now, but uh, uh, to Blasio. And I mean, these people, the mayors of the greatest cities in the country, saying. It's a sanctuary, never mind what the federal law says. I mean, the country can't stand for that. As Enoch Powell used to say, adapting it slightly to a republic, the the federal government's risk must run throughout the country. Otherwise, it isn't governing. Yeah,
0: well, you can quote Enoch Powell, I'll quote Abraham Lincoln, you know. That's a a step up. Well, you you know, not to to top your story, but you can't do that, you know. You can't do that. No, you can't. Okay. Conrad, thank you.
4: Oh, it's for me to thank you. You you get me worked up here. I I was feeling a little drowsy when you come, but I'm I'm going to go ahead and challenge the world here.
0: We're going off to lunch. We can leave the tape recorder on if you want to keep going. (laughs) (laughs)
4: It's an early hour for lunch.
0: Yeah, well, we're expecting you for lunch or dinner, too, when you come, huh? Will you please don't forget us? All right. Thank you, Lord Black. Yeah, thank Soon you, to no. be affiliated. Bye. Yep. Bye. That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennettShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett and like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. We'd love to hear from you. Bill at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and with your friends. Okay?